When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with seasoned leaders from all over the world on what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am tremendously excited to introduce you to the one, the only Dr. Eric Luster. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Eric. Dr. Luster is the CEO and founder of Movement International Incorporated, an author and a portfolio entrepreneur. After 14 years in senior roles at the Department of Defense as a nuclear, biological, and chemical specialist and a research scientist and engineer, Eric began his work in the design of person-centered healthcare technologies. And thank you for your service, Eric. I love having other veterans on here. But also, Eric is now the current president and chairman and the board of directors of Waymark Gardens Senior Living Community, where he spearheads the renovation and development of a smart facility designed to improve the safety, communication, and experience of valued residents. And Eric is phenomenal. He has innovative technologies. We're going to talk all about that. And most of all, he just released an incredible book, Get Over Yourself. And we're going to hear from that at the end. So Eric, just thank you so much for honoring our guests with your time and wisdom. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service, Tracy. It's a pleasure, Eric. All right, let's get right into it, Eric. So I had called you, we connected, and I got to work on, with you on your book. And I know that you have the heart of a leader, that you have, as my father would say, earned your stripes. So one of my father's most renowned speeches was called The Price of Leadership. And in that speech, he says that there are four things that you are going to have to be serving up or dealing with in order to truly be called a leader and not a leader in name only. And the first of those, Eric, is loneliness. And, you know, we all hear that it's lonely at the top or heavy is the head that wears the crowd. But can you unpack what loneliness means for you throughout the different stages of your career and maybe some tips or techniques or tools for our audience about how you combat it and also how you deal with it? Yes, I can, Tracy. And that story for me starts off early on in my career. I was 19 when I joined the United States Army. I enlisted as a nuclear biological chemical specialist and was really excited. I knew nothing about the Army. And I arrived to Fort Huachuca in Arizona. And I started to learn my job pretty quick, but I was stationed in a tactical satellite battalion. And I became very interested in satellite communications. And so I rose through the rank. I made a staff sergeant in about four years. And so I started to experience that loneliness 
because I had built connections with other soldiers uh, that were my age. But in four years, I looked up and I couldn't hang out with my friends. I was now in charge. And so that really set me up for a lonely situation because now my peers were in their 30s and 40s. And so I had to really dig deep and try to figure out how to overcome this feeling I had inside. And so I actually turned to the community college where I started. I took a class and I wanted to figure out how was I going to lead the soldiers. And so growing up early on, I'm a, a twin. And so I have a, a twin brother, uh, Edward Luster, and he was always the twin that was charismatic. Everyone wanted to be around him. He was a natural born leader. And so when I started to look at leadership theory, I was trying to figure out how was I going to lead all of these soldiers without being a born leader. And so that led me to getting inspired and continuing training on how to be an effective leader. And it really came handy. I had to get over a lot of uh, self-doubt in order to get there. I love it. And what did that course in particular, do you remember anything in particular that it taught you to kind of ready you for that? Yes. It taught me the eight different types of leadership. <clears throat> I was interested in that great man theory. because oh, I, One of my favorites. I thought everyone, they were either you were born a leader or you weren't. And so I actually got over the loneliness by uh, really looking at the different types of leadership. And the key that I found was to start giving. That's what got me through. And that's what helped me excel in the military. Mm -hmm. And it transitioned right into my professional career. Well, I love the fact that you, when you dealt with this, you went to knowledge to solve the problem. I also tell people you can figure out anything. For those of you that have been in the military, you understand what he's talking about. There's a term called fraternization, where it's the separation of hierarchy. Sometimes it's officers enlisted, but even there's that distance, even in corporate America, Eric, because you spent many years in outside of the military and the civilian workforce too, you really kind of have to watch that space and keep it professional. I think of the one term familiarity breeds contempt. And so you have to kind of keep it open and accessible, but clearly defined boundaries. And it's that's really fascinating that you saw that at such a young age. Yes, it was a real eye-opening task because a lot of the soldiers, we were younger, so we would go out on the weekends. And I found myself being the person getting the call at three and four o'clock to pick someone up that got in trouble. And here I am now a 20-year-old giving a 40-year-old a lecture. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So oh my goodness. that was uh, just real eye-opening. So it prepared me for a bigger role, so I, I, I should it. say. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. And do you deal with loneliness now in this stage of life? Yes. In particular, uh, uh, going through the doctoral journey, it was almost like the military all over again. I had to learn to say no. And that was really tough for me because the key to my success was giving. So I always say yes. But when you are tackling such a large task, you have to really organize your time. You have to make sure that you're working on the right things at the right time. When you start saying no, a lot of people start to turn away from you because they feel like they're not able to get what they need out of you. So. Well, that's really interesting. And I love that you took the spin on loneliness is sometimes, you know, you're in a different position, but also sometimes we need to sequester ourselves off. Having been through the doctoral journey, you really have to say, you have to say no to an awful lot. And yeah, then people are like, oh, well, I guess, I guess you're, you're gone. I'm like, yeah, I'm gone for a minimum of four years and then I'll reconvene. But I love that a lot of times with leadership, you have a valid point. I think of Jesus having to go off alone. I mean, I think if 
whether you meditate or you're mindful, loneliness is not always a bad thing because we a lot of times have to get ourselves alone to really be intensely focused or to really listen for what's next. Yes, and it comes from all angles. Just, and you, you made reference to Jesus. I mean, his family didn't even accept him. And, and that was that's the toughest pill to swallow when you try to sit down with your closest relatives and explain uh, the journey. But they just hadn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm the first doctor in the family. So it was something that we had not experienced before. So Right. And I love you talk about that in your book. And we're going to talk about it at the end. But I love how you said explain the journey and not everybody's going to get it. They're not even going to be able to process it. It's going to bring up all kinds of emotions. And you would think one would be happy with, but everybody is in different spaces. So I love that you said that explain the journey. And for our leaders listening, even sometimes your closest family and friends, they don't always get it. And so that also gives a certain sense of loneliness, but we know what we got to do. So congratulations, Dr. Luster. <laughs> yes. And no bash on the family because through the associate's degree, the bachelor's degree, the master's degree, they all understood that they were very supportive, but tackling a doctoral degree that was out of the wheelhouse of everyone, including myself. I had to, I had to get new mentors that explained to me what the process was like. Oh, absolutely. And I have friends that now are, are just starting up and I'm like, okay, you need to find other people that have already been through this journey to walk you through it because otherwise, yes, yeah, somebody that, that was there at that devil, different level. I love the new mentors. And if you are lonely in this season, so Eric expresses loneliness as, as a young enlisted man, but he's felt loneliness, you're going to always feel it. And I love that you said you have to pick up, I call them Sherpas, like if you're hiking, different mountaineers, different experts that are like, okay, now you're breathing this level of air. So now you need to wear this kind of clothes and eat this kind of food and you're on a whole different level. And so that's really important for a lot of our leaders listening are in advanced degrees or higher certifications. And that's really important that you said, get those people at different levels to support you. Otherwise, because it is lonely and you got to find people that get that. Yes. Wonderful. Eric, thank you. Okay. So we unpack loneliness. So the next thing that my father talked about was weariness. You know, I always tell people, sometimes I go to bed at night and I work so hard. I feel like it's one of those nights when I was at war and I'm like, I just went to bed war tired, but it was good because I knew what we were doing was right. And I was tired. And I'm like, I'm war tired. But there are other times when you're weary and it's debilitating. So, you know, my dad would always say, hey, you know, Tracy, anytime you're leading, you're going to be around people that there are some that do way more than the others. And there are some that don't pull their weight, kind of the 80-20 principle. But how do you, Eric, stay in top mental and physical and financial form so you can continue leading all these organizations that you're involved in? Yeah, I stay steadfast on my faith. And so when we talk about weariness, this was a thing that I had to address as I moved up the uh, corporate ladder. So after uh, the military service, I was recruited out of the army by Northrop Grumman Mission Systems. And I got a lot of certifications and I moved at the same rate when I got into corporate. I uh, ended up in about two and a half years, I was uh, the senior systems engineer for NETCOM. So the enterprise of the army network. And I thought my goal, I set the small goals to achieve and I thought the goal was to increase my salary because that's what you think about when you're in the military. What does an actual salary look like? Because there's so many benefits built into military, you, you yes. don't think about that. And so I rose up, I made it to $52,000 a year, $87,000 a year, and then $137,000 a year. And I thought I made it. I was happy. 
but I started to realize that I was not happy. Hmm. And I started to feel this weariness as I'm making my next choice because I almost wanted to make the choice that everyone else wanted for me. And that was to keep making the most money my family had ever, ever, ever seen. But it was challenging. It wasn't exciting. I wasn't motivated anymore. Yes, the money was good. Everyone else afford to do things that they wanted to do, but it was no vision there. It lacked any goal, any ambition. I was, I was actually stuck. So I love it. Well, and I love that you talked about that weariness. You equated that with not being happy. And I think a lot of people, when I look at them and I'm like, is it a physical weariness or is it a psychological thing? You know that this isn't the best use of yourself. And I know when I'm not dialed into that, I get incredibly, almost like a fatigue. And I'm like, something's out of whack. You're not being true to yourself because no matter what, and and I work for Northrop Grumman too, the space technology division. And I can remember getting job offers and being like, wow, I've never seen an offer like this before. But then you got to look at it and say, but is this what really gets me excited and vitalized to go to work? Yes. And the way you explain weariness, that came to me through my mentors. I would try to talk this thing through and say, hey, I'm going to leave this $137,000 on the table and I'm going to go and pursue this graduate degree. They felt weary. Their feedback was, hey, you probably should do this. People aren't going to respect you the same. They're not going to treat you like you're the hero anymore. And so they passed that weariness on to me because that was something they would never do. And so that made me a little curious. It says, well, Let's see if I could turn this around. Let's see if I can prove them wrong. I love that you said pass on the weariness. So it's, and we hear about that. Somebody say, well, don't, don't do that. Don't take that risk. They're projecting their risk aversion onto you. But I never thought about that, that weariness. And like, it's almost like in the underlings, they know they wanted to do it, but they wouldn't do it for whatever reason. I love how you said that. Pass on the weariness. Yeah. Yeah. And they pass it to you and, and they, they, they with a warning. Oh, wow. If you do this, you know what's going to happen. And it's just like, oh, wow. Well, isn't that wild? Yeah, that's very interesting. And and I, I, when I got out of the military, like you, I went to high tech, I went to Northrop, I went to the NSA, a lot of different places. And then I had to finally look at it too, Eric, because I would just be like you, I'm working, but I'm just, I don't feel alive. And I had to really look at this and say, somebody said to me, you're hiding behind, you're padding your resume and you're avoiding doing what you really want to do by just working in these sexy fields, making more money, but you're not, you're not really doing what you want to do. And I was like, that's exactly, I'm hiding behind my resume. Because like you said, that person said, well, they're not going to respect you as more as much. And I started thinking, well, look at all the things I've done. I've lived all over the world and I'm going to go back and run a small little publishing family run publishing company. How's that going to equate? You know? And it's like, wow, we believe these things until we finally just say, yeah, but the discomfort is so much that we just have to make the move. Yes. Absolutely. So tell and me that's, about that. Yeah. When you did that move, when you told them, did you go back and discuss that with your wife, LaCherise, or did you just say, look at them and say, thank you, but I got my mind made up? Yes. So, and my wife has been alone for the entire journey. In fact, she went to, and we grew up in a small town in the Midwest, and she went to a Catholic school. I went to the public school. Well, I was homecoming king, and she was my date. So she's uh, seen, seen it all. She's seen... Uh, the desires. So I actually started to pursue the doctoral degree. When I got to Northrop Grumman, I thought I knew everything about the field of nuclear, biological, chemical. And I got on a teleconference one day and the PhDs from George Mason University came on. And 
they let me know right now that I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so that was the fuel to my fire. I've let those little things that you can feel it in your stomach when it comes, I let those drive my decision. And so that's how I was able to come that weariness that others place on, on me because my fire, it burns larger than the weariness type of comment. I love it. Beautiful. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. The next thing my father talked about was abandonment. And typically abandonment has this negative connotation, but in the price of leadership, it actually means pruning off the things. And you alluded to it with the PhD program. Stop doing the things that are really holding you back. Dad told me one day, I'm like, how'd you get so successful? And he said, Tracy, I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than my success. And I'm like, what? And he's like, every day you have to die to self, you know, it's biblical. And so how do you stay really abandoned to all the other things? Cause you are, you have quite the eclectic, eclectic and you're homecoming king too. You know, you have quite the eclectic multitasked. You're truly gifted. How do you stay really hyper-focused on what's next at this time? Yeah, it's a lot of self-realization. And one of the comments you made to me, Tracy was, Hey, I'm excited about your book. I can't believe you said it this real. So what I'm going to tell you is something that I had to deal with as far as abandoning. So mind you, I'm a twin. So day one, I've always had someone to play with. I've always had someone to talk to. Well, fast forward to at 19 years old, getting married. My twin brother felt abandoned and we grew up in a very rough neighborhood. And so we developed a code. I mean, my mother would always instill in us that, hey, you both leave the house, you both come home. Well, when I had to really come face to face with abandonment, we just had my oldest son, he's 21, Syree, and I had the mentality of, hey, in this world, it's me and my twin brother. And he was back at home while I was in the army and he had got into some altercation. And so I was describing to my wife what I was going to do to protect my brother. And she looked at me in the eye, lonely, lonely eyes and said, what are me and Syree going to do when you go and do that? And that's when I had to come face to face with abandonment. I know I had to follow that emotion, uh, feeling like I abandoned my brother. But then now I had to know that I had to be a father, I had to be a husband, because I, I wasn't going to abandon my wife and my son. And so it's been a lot to deal with emotionally and to really understand how it works. We're always brought up one way and we get locked in and what happens when you have to change? Yeah. yeah. I love that you brought up the emotional component of abandonment because it is tough because, and you know, Jim Collins, good to great. Sometimes we even have to abandon good things because now we have something great. You have the covenant of marriage and the blessing of a child. Okay. It doesn't get much better than that, but yet you have the familial bonds where, and the safety issues. So yeah, abandonment in people are like, that's why it is so hard. If it were easy, we'd drop the things that we'd be able to cross these thresholds so much easier. But I love that she said that to you in just that simple way. I love it when people just ask questions instead of give a response and that she did that. And your response to that was just beautiful. So I had not heard that. Yeah, well, that. And you know me, I always have a response, but that day I did not have a response. Uh, I, I, I was puzzled. I just literally said, Hey, well, I didn't think that far yet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so thankful you did. And we're authentic about that. So, all right. So abandonment, and the last one my dad talked about, we covered loneliness, weariness, abandonment was vision. And I think we hear you and I grew up in areas where we stuff wasn't handed to us. So we had to earn our way through. I consider myself very scrappy and pragmatic. 
you know, but the blessing of a family and, and a faith. So when I would hear vision, I always thought, wow, that's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm a doer, but I'm not a visionary. My dad was like, Tracy, vision is seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. So it kind of had this big esoteric thing, but also this very practicality. So can you tell me, how do you continue to hone your vision? Obviously, you have lots of beautiful chapters in your life. And I know you're what? Second quarter, maybe third quarter, right in between? Yep. Second quarter. At half, technically. Yeah. So tell me how you keep crafting your vision moving forward. Well, it's always a work in progress. And so when I reflect, that's where I started to realize I'm a portfolio entrepreneur. So I start with a small vision and I start to piece it together. So for example, my freshman year in high school, I made the varsity football team. Well, the marching band that year was scheduled to march at the Citrus Bowl. And so I saw myself marching at the Citrus Bowl. But of course, I have a twin brother. We had to show up for football. So I, was, I became that first player to play varsity football and switch it to a uniform at halftime and do the halftime show. And I don't know how I was able to pull that off, but... I did. And so it was the little visions that I had. I actually saw myself at the Citrus Bowl. And so nothing was going to stop me. And so as I accomplished, these visions turned into goals. And so I started to accomplish those goals. And I can recall when I completed my master's degree and I was sitting there and the work got harder. And I said, wow, what's going on? I, I completed the master's degree. I did it. The work was supposed to get easier. And then I had realized that I, I stopped looking forward and I had no more goals. I had to go back and meditate and start to develop that vision. So those, those goals would just start to fall out. I love that you called it little visions. That's yeah. brilliant. And that you talked about, I think you said a vision is progressive. In other words, you're constantly, it's like decision-making. You make it, but tomorrow you may need to tweak it or scrap it. I mean, because every day, and so it's it's a, a living thing, but little visions, how perfect is that? Because then yeah, it's, like it's so intimidating, like, what is that big, that BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal? I don't know, but I got I love that little visions concept. Yeah. And I put a lot of thought into those little visions. I put more thought. So when I started the doctoral journey, I prayed. I didn't pray that I finished my doctorate degree. That was not the vision. My vision was to start this process, keep the process going, and keep my family intact. Because the people that I surrounded myself with, they had horror stories. And so I was able to kind of detect what the actual the goal was not to Eric to walk in the room and they say, hey, Dr. Luster, because you can pray for that and you'll get that and you'll look around and your family's gone. Oh, so I really took it. I mean, I break those little visions down and I just tried to execute. And that was the heart because it took me almost eight years to finish that doctor's degree because of uh, just the journey that I was on. But I stood fast in what I prayed about. And so that was, uh, and you have the most beautiful family to show it. I can't wait till people check out your book and your website. So, okay. So, so Eric, we really talked about the price of leadership. Obviously you have paid it and you continue to pay it and you can look at it and say, yeah, it was a sacrifice, but you're infinitely richer for it. And we are too. Is there anything else as far as leadership lessons you would like to share with our audience today? Yes. I have a term, don't forget your forklift. And so I talk about this. This was my big moment in the military. Here I'm in my early 20s. 
the Operation Enduring Freedom is just about to happen. And my unit selects me as the operations sergeant. So I uh, have the honor of working with the Air Force and figuring out a plan to get $20 million worth of equipment, 40 personnel from Southern Arizona to Northern Africa. And so I thought everything, I've worked all of the hours, I had plans, I, I had everything figured out. We were successful. We were able to get to Africa. We took one aircraft, which was a C-5, which is unbelievable. It was a great experience. But when we got to the desert, we were able to drive the vehicles off the C-5, but we had 11 pallets and I did not pack a forklift. And so everyone looked at me and I had to, this is the most important part. I actually had to take responsibility right then and there. It was no one else. You couldn't point the finger. Extreme you, ownership. Yeah. So wow. needless to say, I found a disgruntled Air Force airman and he was driving a forklift. So he gave me an hour long class of driving a forklift. And he said, here, you can use it as long as you want. And so I, I was able to complete the mission. But it's stories like that, that just sit yes. with me and, and it has driven me on in leadership as I take on more challenges. I've created a culture within the companies to where no one points the finger. Everyone takes responsibility. Everything's going to go wrong. You're going to get the forklift, but what happens next? That's the key. Yeah. And then so talk is in the military too, with the learning, do you go back then and do kind of an after actions or a hot wash and say, okay, how do we kind of make sure it doesn't happen again? Kind of thing. That day, I just wanted that whole thing. Oh, no, to go I know away. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. When you're deploying across the world, you just say, okay, we need to have no, it. I, I oh, yeah, that. we already after action review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm definitely. sure you didn't forget it again. Yeah. yeah. That's something that I constantly do to this day. We continue to build and learn on experiences. I love that. Yeah. Don't forget your forklift. I think that's a good title for your next book. You know what I'm saying? That's a great concept. And I can't even imagine you landed. I'm glad the Air Force was there to help you out. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. You're, oh, they were excellent. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, are. Although, he was complaining about them being deployed. And I, I said, how long have you been here? He said, three months. I said, oh, well, you're just in here. He said, no, I'm just leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So, Eric, tell me about the technology that you have created. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. I think they'd be fascinated how you're employing that. I talked a little bit about your current position. I think they'd love to hear what you're doing in Phoenix. Yeah, so I started a transition from the government contracting role. I found a problem and it was the burning thing in my stomach again. My oldest son was playing football. And so I had started to develop a sensor for detecting and reporting concussions. So we developed a small compact sensor that detects up to 200 Gs of force. And it uses the same technology that we all use every day and we don't even know it. It's the same algorithm that deploys your airbag. And so we were able to leverage that existing technology, put it in a small wearable device and able to identify when someone has a head impact and let them know the severity of that head impact. And so we were concerned about concussions and that's what I built a company around. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And we'll have in the show notes, all the different websites and stuff where they can contact that. So Eric, tell people you are a newly published author. Get over yourself. I love this book. Eric, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so all the stories that I've shared today are, they've been sprinkled throughout the book. I uh, developed a construct and uh, a parallel life to a basketball game. So when Tracy mentions uh, getting new mentors and 
things of that nature. I look at life as if you're the point guard of your basketball team. You have four other players at any given time. You have two coaches on the sideline. You have a trainer on the sideline. That describes most people's life as far as having those four people that they talk to and having some older adults that mentor them. And so when we look at it this way, I break life down in quarters. So from zero to 20 years old, that's the first quarter. From 20 to 40, that's the second quarter. And then we have that halftime. So everyone, when we get to the 40s, we start wondering if we're up by 20 or if we're down by 12. And so this is when you need to start taking an assessment and you uh, need to identify whether if you're winning, because the ultimate goal is to get to overtime. And so this is where the next phase of what I've been doing as far as the senior living communities have get, this has given me the most insight because when we go to overtime, we're talking about our 80s and we start to look at things in our 40s that will impact if we make it to overtime or not. For example, we can look at existing data. We can look at a zip code and I can tell you the median age of death in your zip code. So if you're, you have a, a goal to make it to 80 and, but in your zip code, average age of death is 65, then we have to make some changes. We have to make some changes. It's a lot of environmental factors that we're not thinking about. A lot of people are staying where they are because it's home. I mean, they have an attachment, but that again, that goes to the vision. You have to create that vision. And when you get that vision and that goal comes out that says, hey, I'm going to be comfortable when I'm 80. That's when we start to make better decisions there. I love it. And I love Eric takes you through his life journey. But most of all, I love your book is, is you talk about, hey, if you don't have the resources that you can still move the ball, because a lot of people think, well, I don't have the right team or the right talent or, or the ball's deflated or somebody, you know, whatever. But you're very much in the book about, yeah, those are excuses. You can still find a way. You can figure it out. And I just, I can't say enough about the book. I, I love the book. I learned so much from the book. And I hope all our listeners out there get a copy of the book. Yeah. So throughout the journey, uh, the original title of the book was How to Move Without the Ball. And so I was sharing my journey on how to get there with limited resources and really thinking outside of the box. But as I went on and I started to confront all of these situations, the term get over yourself just slowly started to emerge. And one piece in the book, I talk about one of my early mentors. She met me in the fifth grade and she had the courage of a tiger. She came into a all black neighborhood, very, very run down. And she was my tutor. So she was six foot tall, white lady that came into this rough area and she would come and get us and take us to the uh, university. So that was a huge inspiration. In fact, she attended my high school graduation, my associate's degree graduation, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and ultimately was there for my doctor's degree. And so going through life, I told myself that Becky had the courage to come meet me where I'm at, that there's no way I don't have the courage to stand up and change careers because I want to make an impact. And so that was very, very inspirational. And so you'll get that piece in the book. Yeah. And you get to see Becky in the book and all that stuff. And I just, you know, some of this dearest words that we can tell ourselves other than self-affirmation is get over yourself. You know what I'm saying? I love where you landed on that. Eric, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with our listeners and your last story about 
what somebody did for you and how you in life are now serving, I sure am, have inspired all listeners to have the courage and the fortitude to move forward. Excellent. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you so again. For this opportunity, Trish, I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the mentorship. In the second quarter and just meeting you, I already knew that you were part of the team. And so well, it is excellent. Well, and Eric and I met through somebody that I had met like two years ago. And so it's just so beautiful when these networks come together and I got your back, brother. I'm on the tail end of what am I? <gasps> the third quarter. So yeah. So I'll lead you, little brother, up into the next <laughs> quarter. But I just love what you're doing, doctor, and you're speaking and you're teaching and you're preaching. You and your family are, are just a real blessing to me and I know to everybody else. So thank you again. Great. Thank you. And thank you to your listeners as well. You're welcome. And to our tremendous leadership fans. We are so thankful that you tuned in for this. We hope you got a lot of great insights. Please reach out to Dr. Eric Luster, get a copy of his book, check out his website, get connected with him. He's an incredible resource and he speaks too. He would be a wonderful asset to any speech that you have coming up. And if you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button. And we would be honored if you would give us a five-star review as well, wherever you listen to this podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, you name it. So with that, we just encourage you to keep on playing the price of leadership. And thank you for being a part of our tremendous tribe. Have a beautiful rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.